Fired Up show starts right now. And welcome, everybody. Welcome to Fired Up right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve. I'm your host. And as always, we're going to dive into the political machinery here in the United States of America. So we're going to start it off by, first of all, wishing everybody uh, a happy uh, Juneteenth. Uh, This show, I'm recording it uh, on the 19th of June, uh, which is the Juneteenth holiday here in the United States. Uh, This holiday was signed into law by President Biden two years ago and has been continuing its growth in popularity uh, ever since uh, it was started back in the 1860s. Uh, Let me give you a little background. Um, Picture the scene. It's uh, 1863. The uh, Civil, Civil War is still raging and President Abraham Lincoln signs the Emancipation Proclamation, uh, which uh, freed all of the uh, enslaved African people that had been held uh, here in the United States uh, for 200 years. And the message uh, was uh, transmitted uh, around to all of the areas of the country uh, in in the, the form that it was then. Um, and it was two years later, uh, June 19th, 1865, uh, a little bit more than uh, 10 days after the, uh, the, quote, end, close quote, of the Civil War with uh, the surrender of the Confederate Army to the Union Army. Um, that uh, federal troops finally arrived in uh, the Confederate holdout in Galveston, Texas, uh, which was at the time uh, one of, if not the most western points uh, in the United States uh, or the the continent at the time. So uh, the uh, Union troops rode into Galveston uh, read the Emancipation Proclamation uh, to the to the population there, and uh, freed by proclamation uh, roughly a quarter million enslaved people uh, in the state of Texas, effectively marking uh, the notification of all enslaved people in the uh, United States of the time. Uh, that they were in fact free. Now, we should put free in quotation marks because from June 19, 1865, uh, it would take uh, almost literally 100 years for the federal government to expand on those freedoms through the Voting Rights Act of 1965 and the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and 65. Uh, So uh, the freeing of slaves in Juneteenth was actually the start of a a more than 100-year process and arguably a process that still continues to this day. If you uh, look at the various uh, areas of disparity between uh, African-American people and, and people of color in general, uh, and the 
uh, the white population of this country, whether you're talking about an economic position or a social position uh, or an accessibility position or, you know, all of the the buzzwords that we've been bandying about uh, over the last, you know, 50 years uh, with regard to how people of color in this country are treated or more accurately mistreated uh, by the majority population uh, that, that we see just about every day. Keep in mind, you know, in, in 1863, uh, there was no internet, there was no Twitter or you know, Snapchat or you know, TikTok or even Truth Social uh, to communicate messages out. There was no Fox News, there was no television, no radio. Uh, communication that uh, would instantaneously transmit uh, messages and information uh, across the breadth of the United States of the day. Uh, so you know, the, the fastest communication methods that were available uh, were by horse, uh, in certain areas by train, uh, and even fewer certain areas by uh, telegraph uh, to get messages out across the country. So much of the communication was done, you know, manually. It was done uh, through the the delivery of messages um, by humans uh, to other humans, and this was how the people uh, of Galveston, Texas, uh, found out that. Slavery uh, had been ended by a proclamation from the president uh, a little, little more than two years prior. So, you know, what you have is, you know, the the African people, formerly enslaved African people, now found themselves thrust into uh, being free um, people of African descent in the United States. And as much as you'd like to think that, you know, the troubles ended, as I mentioned, it would take more than 100 years uh, for the next level of that freedom, uh, the enforcement of the right to vote uh, by the federal government through the Voting Rights Act. And that wouldn't occur until 1965. So, you know, it, it, it was you know, still a work in progress, and it continues to be a work in progress, uh, even more so in light of the actions of many uh, of the, the conservative element uh, in our political system today, uh, actively seeking to roll back access to, to voting and to disenfranchise uh, poor and, and people of color in this country uh, in, an, in an effort to ensure the continued power of one part of our political system, uh, notably the uh, Republican or conservative wing of our political system. So, you know, while a lot of Americans, many Americans, uh, celebrate Juneteenth, uh, while it has become uh, the 11th national holiday, as, as signed into law by President Biden two years ago, uh, it still only represents another step in the progress 
toward a, a fully, uh, fully uh, equalitarian uh, society here in America. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, it is going to take uh, more time and more effort and more struggle and more uh, confrontation and, and discussion, debate, argument uh, before we achieve those final steps of full equality and full representation uh, of all people in this country, regardless of their ethnic background or, or any other demographic you want to name, uh, to, to a full seat at the table. Now, don't get me wrong, there has been a lot of progress made, uh, the, the pinnacle of which uh, was the election of this country's first African-American president uh, in, in the person of one Barack Obama, uh, which in, in one sense was a huge victory for equality in this country in that uh, it, it was something that, you know, if you, if you ask you know, someone of just about any age uh, in, in the black community, uh, you know, m prior to 2006 uh, uh, elections, uh, if there could be a black president in the United States, uh, you would you would have gotten one of two answers: either you would have gotten laughter, uh, or you would have gotten you know abject disbelief that that was ever going to happen. And I I have to include myself in that category, uh, while. While it's a, a laudable goal, while it was a laudable goal and something worth striving to achieve, uh, in all truthfulness, as I said, prior to, you know, sometime around prior to, to 2004, which was when Barack Obama spoke in Boston at the Democratic Convention and really thrust himself onto the stage as, you know, a, a potential candidate with, uh, you know, with the credentials and with the charisma and, and all of that to actually become uh, uh, president of the United States. Um, so prior to that time, you know, even, even I didn't really believe that it would happen. But anyway, I digress. Getting back to uh, Juneteenth. Uh, Juneteenth is a holiday that uh, celebrates uh, particularly for African Americans in this country, but more realistically, for everyone in this country, it celebrates the realization that you know there quote isn't uh, a a uh, element of chattel slavery close quote in this country any longer. Uh, the the Emancipation Proclamation declared that you know all people were equal, uh, that they were free. Now caveat that with the fact that um, it would still be, you know, a hundred plus years before women would get the vote. Uh, and we still struggle to, you know, elevate uh, women in this country to a more equal position with men in this country, regardless of race, uh, in terms of equality of pay and equality of treatment and, you know, having that full seat at the table. So, you know, equality in this country uh, has always been a, a struggle, has always been a work in progress, 
and will continue to be a work in progress. Uh, it will you know, likely be you know, several lifetimes before we see another uh, major leap forward. And I'm sorry to, to have to be the bearer of bad news, but that, that's just what I see given what we have today, uh, the, the political divide in this country, the, the polarization of our, our uh, society, um, you know, and, and just all the levels of rancor and, and disagreement uh, between the population of our country uh, these days. So while Juneteenth is a, a national holiday, it is a holiday uh, that should be celebrated by everyone for what it means. Uh, according to some, some statements I've seen in the press, uh, one, one uh, commenter uh, wrote it, Juneteenth presents a, quote, fuller expression of freedom, uh, although not all states recognize it. As of today, uh, at least 28 states acknowledge Juneteenth as a state holiday. Uh, the states of Minnesota, Nevada, Tennessee, and Connecticut uh, made Juneteenth a public holiday for the first time just this year, according to information from Pew Research. Um, you know, while uh, a study that uh, came out of the University of Massachusetts Amherst uh, indicates that Americans are divided on you know commemorating Juneteenth. Uh, 69% of Democrats support it be supported be becoming a federal holiday. Only 13% of Republicans had backed that move. Um, it's not, as the article says, it's not an absolute freedom. Um, you know, Juneteenth and the 4th of July uh, represent, um, as many might, might presume, represent uh, the, the, quote, same thing. But in fact, they represent vast, vastly different things along the same theme. Uh, the 4th of July represents the, the push as a, a nation, as a burgeoning nation, to free itself from the tyranny of a foreign state. Juneteenth represents the, the, the struggle of a segment of the population in that nation uh, breaking you know, those chains to uh, elements within that population that sought to hold them uh, in bondage. So even though the, the upshot was that both holidays, July 4th and Juneteenth, represent advancements in uh, some levels of general freedoms, uh, there is still a lot of work to be done if real freedom, if real equality is going to happen. And, and I know we've, we, we talk about this all the time, here on the Fire It Up podcast, but it is something that uh, needs to be uh, discussed on a broader scale, and the information needs to go forward and be disseminated among you know the the broadest possible spectrum of the American population. So, if you're in discussions with uh, someone about the nature of Juneteenth, and all they are calling it is a quote black holiday, close quote, 
it's it's really more than that. Uh, yes, it is a holiday that represents a major step forward in the equality of uh, all people in this country. However, it does not represent the achievement of that equality. As I said, uh, even though uh, African Americans formerly enslaved uh, were you know, finally made aware across the nation that they were in fact, quote, free, close quote, according to the um, Emancipation Proclamation, keep in mind that that referred to uh, African-American males only. Uh, the, the female population of this country still, uh, at that time, did not have any of, anywhere near the equal uh, rights to males in this country, regardless of their race or background. Uh, and to a large extent, that has not changed. So, you know, in the hundred um, uh, or actually yeah, 160 years or whatever it's been since the Emancipation Proclamation and since the, the final announcement on June 19th uh, of the end of slavery, uh, you know, women in this country have made some uh, impressive uh, progress toward, you know, full equality. But they're not there yet. They're not, you know, there is still a wide gap in, in earnings, in, in uh, social status, in, you know, all things that, that matter with regard to, you know, people in general being equal to each other. Uh, women in general still lag behind males in this country. And that's another thing that you know is is an ongoing struggle uh, and continues to be a battle uh, between the the uh, more liberal and progressive left and the more uh, conservative right uh, political sides of this country so you know maybe uh, at some point there will be a quote emancipation proclamation for the sexes which will, you know, codify uh, equal status of women uh, in this country. Now, I know there are, uh, there are laws that try to balance uh, that, that system out, uh, you know, but the, the most potent of which, which was the, the so-called Equal Rights Amendment, um, still has not been codified into the laws of this country, uh, even though it has been seeking the approval of the constitutional amendment for something like you know, 30 years or 40 years, uh, and still has not achieved uh, the, the requirements uh, to be adopted as an amendment to the Constitution. So you know, there's still work to do. Uh, with regard to the, the, the full status of women in this country. There's still work to do with regard to the full status of uh, minorities and people of color in this country. Uh, there is still work to be done with regard to the status of uh, the poor and low-income people of every race uh, in this country. So, you know, we, we can't just uh, rest on the laurels of 
you know, the Martin Luther King holiday and Juneteenth and, uh, and, and so forth uh, to, to say that we have achieved a victory. We have won some skirmishes, but the war continues. So, you know, this is, this is what uh, is the, the theme that we need to keep uh, in the back of our minds as we celebrate uh, the, the liberation of the enslaved people uh, in this country uh, back on June 19th, um, 1863. So, you know, it, it, is, it is important. I'm sorry, 1865. Uh, it is important to remember that, you know, Juneteenth, uh, the holiday and the events that it is based upon are not the end. They are a, a stop along the road to a more equal society in this country. So, you know, happy Juneteenth uh, to all of us here in the United States. As I said, it is it is a a holiday and celebration of a positive change in the status of uh, formerly enslaved African people in this country, but it is not limited to just uh, the descendants of formerly enslaved African people in this country. It is a holiday that uh, everyone in this country should embrace for what it signifies. It signifies an on the ongoing effort toward you know full equality for all citizens in this country and it, it is something that we should be proud of uh, but it is not an ending point it is merely a transition point as we continue to move forward so with that in mind you know i, I say happy juneteenth uh, celebrate the meaning and the importance of what this holiday and, and what this this date represents in American history. And to illustrate the point I was making about this being a work in progress, uh, an article in CNN.com uh, came across my desk and this one is an opinion piece uh, that was written by uh, radio uh, talk show host Dean Obadala uh, from Sirius XM and uh, he quotes how, you know, even in the, the, the time of celebrating Juneteenth, uh, two uh, presidential candidates uh, want to uh, walk us back uh, by undoing uh, one of the, the name changes uh, that was uh, ordered by President Biden in 2021, uh, and that is uh, the renaming of military bases uh, named for Confederate uh, Army generals uh, in this country. Specifically, uh, the article talks about uh, the efforts uh, to re rename uh, what is now called Fort Liberty, which was formerly known as Fort Bragg, after uh, the general in the Confederate Army by the name of Braxton Bragg, uh, for uh, which this base in North Carolina was named. Uh, the base was renamed to Fort Liberty uh, earlier uh, this month, and there have been uh, many protests, particularly in North Carolina, but in um, the, the southern states uh, more generally 
uh, against this renaming. Uh, and, you know, according to the article, uh, this was done as part of a push to remove the names of Confederate leaders from military bases uh, in the wake uh, of protests over the killing of George Floyd. Republican uh, candidates for that party's uh, nomination uh, to be president of the United States, uh, Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, and former Vice President Mike Pence, uh, are both calling to reverse the renaming of the base and uh, are saying that uh, they are vowing to revert the name uh, of Fort Bragg. Uh, and according to uh, Governor DeSantis, uh, he is saying, quote, it's an iconic name, an iconic base, and we're not going to let political correctness run amok in North Carolina. And, you know, former Vice President Pence echoed that pledge a day later, saying, quote, we will end the political correctness in the hallways of the Pentagon and North Carolina will once again be home to Fort Bragg. In his opinion article, uh, Obadala writes, the promise of these two Republicans uh, to rename a base after the slave-owning traitorous Bragg is despicable. While Bragg graduated from West Point and served in the U.S. military at one point, by the time of the Civil War, he owned a Louisiana sugar plantation and 105 enslaved people. Uh, Confederate President Jefferson Davis asked Bragg to leave his plantation and serve as a general in the Confederate Army. Bragg led armed forces that waged war on U.S. troops. At the 1863 Battle of Chickamauga alone, where Bragg was uncharacteristically successful in defeating Union forces, patriotic U.S. soldiers suffered 16,000 casualties. Uh, former Vice President Mike Pence uh, participated in a CNN Republican presidential town hall moderated by CNN's Dana Bash at the Grandview uh, University in Des Moines on June 7th of this year. DePan uh, DeSantis and Pence are just following the lead of former President Donald Trump, who went in office repeatedly defended naming the base after Bragg as well as defending other bases named to honor former Confederate officers. Uh, Trump even threatened to veto the bipartisan defense funding bill passed in 2020 that included renaming military bases uh, that bore the name of Confederate generals, tweeting at the time, quote, I will veto the defense authorization bill, which will lead to the renaming plus other bad things of Fort Bragg, Fort Robert E. Lee, and many other uh, military bases. Uh, Trump actually did veto uh, the bill, but Congress overrode that veto in early 2021, paving the way to start renaming nine military bases that honored Confederate officers. Uh, around the time of Trump's veto threat in June 2020, a Quinnipiac University poll found that 86% of Republicans opposed renaming the bases, while 81% of Democrats favored renaming them. Uh, and, you know, that could be a reason why both candidates who are uh, presently trailing uh, former President Trump 
uh, in the polls by uh, substantial numbers uh, are uh, pushing for this, even though uh, it is purely a Republican-only concern and uh, in, in terms of what it would mean perhaps in a general election, uh, it is not something that would, uh, according to uh, information in polls, garner a lot of traction among the general voting population. So, you know, it, it's, as I said, uh, you know, equality is a work in progress. Uh, it is something that, you know, we will need to continually work to move forward. Um, and we should be making sure that we are communicating with uh, both sides of the aisle with the full demographic of the American voter uh, to keep this and other uh, ideas uh, that tend to separate us rather than bring us together uh, to, uh, to work to find solutions and uh, unite our country around uh, important common causes. So we will keep track of the progress uh, of you know, the, the effort to overturn the renaming of Fort Liberty back to Fort Bragg, as well as the progress of renaming other bases and see how this uh, uh, rolls up and plays as the uh, 2024 election uh, comes closer and closer. So, all right, with that, let's take our break here. Uh, you're listening to the Fired Up podcast uh, here on WJMS Media, and I do thank you for listening. Uh, please stay tuned uh, through our, our message break, and when I come back on the other side, uh, we have a few other uh, stories that I want to touch on. So, as I said, you're listening to Fired Up. This is Steve. We'll be right back. This is John Stossel. Anything that makes it harder for you to speak limits your life. So if stuttering affects you or your child or someone you know, you can call the Stuttering Foundation for help. The number is 800-992-9392. That's toll-free, 800-992-9392. Or you can visit their website, www.stutteringhelp.org. They can refer you to expert help in your state. And welcome back to Fired Up right here on WJMS Media. So let's look at some more uh, news uh, on the diversity front. Um, this one comes from one of my favorite target states, the great state of Texas, and it's Governor Greg Abbott. Uh, there's an article that came across my radar uh, where Texas Governor Abbott signs law that shuts down all state-funded colleges and universities, diversity, equity, and inclusion offices. And uh, this article came out just this past Saturday, and uh, it uh, discusses action that uh, Governor Abbott of Texas has taken, uh, signing a bill that effectively shuts down diversity, equity, and inclusion offices at all state-funded colleges and universities. Uh, this bill uh, is, you know, the considered the most significant ban on diversity offices in higher education uh, across the country and uh, you know has generated a lot of buzz both pro and con. Uh, Governor Abbott signed the law on Wednesday 
and under the new legislation, any public college or university that fails to declare compliance with the law's guidelines will be unable to access state funds allocated to them. Furthermore, the law stipulates that state officials must conduct studies every two years until 2029 to examine the impact of the law on students with data disaggregated by race. These studies will assess application rates, acceptance rates, uh, matriculation rates, retention rates, graduation rates, and grade point averages. However, lawmakers did not apply uh, a rationale for conducting these studies. Uh, the law represents the latest moves uh, by the Texas Republican lawmakers and the governor amidst, amidst criticism that diversity, equity, and inclusion, also known as DEI, efforts are divisive or anti-white. Uh, conversely, proponents argue that these departments can facilitate collaboration among individuals from diverse backgrounds. Uh, according to uh, a statement from Senator Brandon Crichton, uh, Republican and one of the bill's authors, Texas is leading the nation in ensuring that our campuses return to focusing on the strength of diversity and promoting a merit-based approach where individuals are evaluated on their qualifications, skills, and contributions. Uh, and, you know, he, again, this is Senator Creighton, who is a Republican and is one of the bill's uh, authors. Uh, a Paulette Granberry Russell, who's president of the National Association of Diversity Officers in Higher Education, uh, expressed her disappointment in a statement referring to the bill's signing as a sad occasion for all students at Texas's public universities. Uh, Russell uh, emphasized that dismantling diversity, equity, and inclusion programs and offices at these institutions demonstrates that Texas lawmakers prioritize a political agenda over the success of students. She stressed that a diverse student body benefits all students regardless of race and declared her organization's commitment to continue working towards increased accessibility and inclusivity in Texas universities. So uh, we've seen similar actions taken uh, in Florida. We've seen similar actions uh, taken in uh, Louisiana, I believe, and other southern states. Uh, clearly, the idea here is that uh, by going by a, a purely merit-based process, uh, while the hope is that, you know, it will uh, continue to be inclusive of, you know, all races and ethnicities. Uh, if we look at history, uh, what we find is that uh, slowly the, the pool of admitted uh, ethnic minorities uh, shrinks down. In fact, there were articles that um, I, I mentioned in a previous podcast which uh, showed a, a rise in the number of Asian students being admitted to colleges uh, compared to a decline in the number of African-American, Latinx, and other minority students. Uh, now, you know, why this is, uh, the arguments range from uh, you know, study habits to, you know, cultural reasons 
and so forth. But at the end of the day, uh, it is it is clear that you know a a broader, more inclusive admissions approach, uh, including you know DEI standards and so forth, benefits the institution by opening up the pool of available you know human resource from from a student perspective, uh, and taking into account the 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 things that a diverse student body brings to an institution. As we've discussed on this uh, program numerous times uh, over the, the recent past, uh, the inclusion of uh, DEI initiatives um, and the, the, the political fight going on over uh, such things as uh, critical race theory or CRT and, and other elements uh, have uh, really worked to try to narrow uh, the pool of college entrance down to, in my opinion, uh, a whites-only enterprise, uh, particularly among the more you know, prestigious schools in the, in the country. And I think this legislation from Governor Abbott will extend that uh, reality into the the state level schools, where historically uh, many uh, uh, applicants of color uh, have found their voice and found uh, their niche to contribute to the the growth and development you know of the United States of America. Uh, it, it is clear that you know not everyone gets into an MIT or a Yale or a Harvard or Brown or Cornell, uh, you know, but still, if, if they are uh, encouraged and supported in attending, you know, state colleges and universities, uh, their contributions have that platform, have that stage, uh, so that, you know, they can make, you know, significant input into the growth and development of our country. And any efforts that are being taken to stifle that uh, is, in my opinion, something that uh, we, the, the voters, need to make sure we express you know, our displeasure with. Uh, it, it is clear that the benefit of having a broadly diverse uh, student body far outweigh the, the benefits that uh, can be received by a singular group of uh, college admittance and you know it, it is something that we need to make sure that uh, we let our uh, politicians know, uh, both local as well as uh, federal, that you know inclusion and expansion of opportunity of students of any uh, racial or ethnic uh, or any other demographic background uh, to application and, and admission to uh, colleges and schools of higher learning uh, is a benefit that we in America need to pursue uh, vigorously uh, rather than expend our energy in trying to restrict it. Uh, so, you know, our, our call to action is, is clear. Uh, we need to evaluate where our, our elected officials stand on, you know, DEI and at the college level, CRT, 
disregard their arguments and protests about how CRT in elementary schools is damaging our kids because the, the statistics show unequivocally that uh, CRT is not a elementary school subject. Uh, people who make that argument are, are generating a false equivalency uh, and, and really gaslighting the American public uh, who, you know, for whatever reason, may not fully understand uh, what CRT is or for that matter what DEI is and you know, have not studied how it is applied and, and what, the, uh, what the details are. So our homework assignment uh, family is uh, let's find out where our political leaders stand. Uh, let's go to your state house website, uh, go to uh, senate.gov or house.gov, uh, look up your House of Representatives uh, uh, email address, look up your you know, senator's email address, look up your state rep and state senator email addresses and look up, you know, uh, the, the address of the governor and start your communication campaign to let them know that, you know, their idea of, you know, closing the door on you know, aspects of admissions that impact uh, students of color is something that we find unacceptable. Uh, it, is, it is clear that, you know, the benefits of a broadly diverse uh, student body uh, far outweigh uh, the benefits to society that a narrowly uh, focused uh, admissions policy and, and diversity policy uh, will provide. So, you know, it, it's clear. And if you want proof, you need look no further than, you know, the leaders uh, of industry today that are out there. Uh, look at how many of them are people of color. Look at how many of them are women who are you know, pushing uh, the envelopes of economic development and scientific advancement and you know, all kinds of you know, social advances that only come as a benefit of receiving a higher education. And you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be from you know, an Ivy League or a top-tier school. Uh, we have seen uh, tremendous uh, rewards from graduates of state colleges, state universities, uh, HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, uh, throughout uh, history. And you know, that can only continue if there is a wide open access door. Uh, and, and that's accomplished by exercising uh, diversity, uh, and you know inclusion uh, and equality principles uh, uh, you know across the board so that's that's part one of you know one of the things that we see as I said in the first segment that continue to make it necessary to have uh, the gains achieved as we celebrate this Juneteenth holiday uh, and consider that as a work in progress. So for my last story of this episode, um, giving a little bit of a prequel to it, 
uh, you may recall, since it was only a couple of weeks ago, uh, that the House, uh, that the, the government uh, narrowly avoided defaulting on its uh, debt ceiling limit and had some very heated and pointed discussions uh, about the budget and uh, what things needed to be cut and what things uh, needed to be kept. And you recall that the House Republicans agreed at verbally uh, during the President's State of the Union speech that uh, cuts to Social Security and Medicare uh, were off the table with regard to the budget uh, process that they were undertaking. Well, uh, fast forward a couple of weeks later, and it appears that uh, while the Republicans uh, took Social Security and Medicare off of that table, uh, they didn't eliminate it, they just moved it to another table. Uh, as uh, reported from the Daily Digest, uh, House Republicans propose raising retirement age for Social Security to 69. Uh, and I will also add that uh, House Republicans are also uh, looking at proposing uh, another tax cut uh, that would uh, favor the highest income uh, earners in the country, uh, although they do claim that you know there will be tax cuts for uh, the middle class and, and uh, adjustments for lower income people as well. But if their prior tax cut uh, passed in 2017 is any indication, uh, the majority of those will actually go to impact the highest uh, wage earners in the country. But getting back to Social Security, uh, as I said, the Republicans are proposing to raise the retirement age for Social Security. Uh, this is a, a method that will uh, reduce the amount of money that Social Security uh, consumes. So the, the idea uh, of raising the retirement age uh, is one of the ideas that was floated during the budget discussions uh, until you know the Republicans agreed or were forced to agree to take Social Security and Medicare off the table. Well, they have brought back a uh, proposal to raise the U.S. retirement age to qualify for Social Security. Uh, you know, obviously, this was a big uh, bone of contention during the budget negotiations and has been a, a uh, debate uh, argument point uh, throughout the various times that cuts to Social Security have been brought up. So the proposal, uh, backed by the 176-member House Republican Study Committee, aims to gradually increase the retirement age currently 66, uh, ultimately hitting 69 years old for those who will turn uh, 62 in 2033. Uh, if the plan becomes law, which it's unlikely, those who are already collecting benefits would not be affected. People who are gearing up for an early retirement, though, uh, may have to make some adjustments to their plans. Uh, Republicans have also proposed turning Medicare into a, quote, premium support system, essentially making it a voucher program 
that would no longer guarantee its benefits to American seniors. Now, you know, as I've said, this has been a uh, frequent talking slash argument point between Democrats and Republicans uh, over the last you know, 30 years. And, you know, it, it has always been considered uh, the third rail of uh, politics to uh, mess with Social Security and Medicaid. But apparently the current crop of uh, Republican uh, Congress people uh, don't care about that. Uh, Representative Brendan Boyle, who's a Democrat of Pennsylvania, condemned the Republicans' proposal, claiming that they were attempting to, and this is a quote, renege on our sacred promise to American workers and seniors, close quote. Uh, the, the proposition is contradictory to the promises that President Joe Biden and his uh, administration have made over the past three years. The president has pledged on numerous occasions to protect Social Security from any plans to reduce payouts. Uh, Biden and congressional Democrats have been focusing their efforts on lowering Medicare's prescription drug costs and raising Medicare and Social Security payroll taxes on high-income earners. The president is an avid proponent of keeping current programs intact. You know, uh, President Biden said in his State of the Union address, some of you are on Social Security or your parents or grandparents are. Uh, you earned in. You earned every single penny. You paid into every paycheck you ever got. Uh, they're more than government programs. They're a promise, a promise we made. Work hard and contribute, and when the time comes for you to retire, we'll be there to help you out. Well, the Republicans are, uh, are taking a different approach to that. Their idea is to gradually increase uh, the, the, the eligibility age, rather, uh, for Social Security to uh, 69 years, um, you know, in, in uh, the next 10, uh, 10 or so years. So for those of you who are in Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, you guys, uh, if this plan goes through, and again, it, it is probably DOA in the Senate, um, but if a plan like this goes through, either now or in the future, uh, what will happen is you will see uh, Social Security benefits for you that are at a lower level than uh, what your parents uh, earned uh, and uh, what your grandparents earned. Uh, this you know, creates an economic hardship for many people who ultimately will rely on Social Security for you know, part or all of their retirement income uh, once they retire from working. So you know, again, this is yet another instance where we need to make sure that, that we are doing everything we can to get ahead of this curve to communicate to our elected officials that uh, we don't want to see a gradual increase of the age to 69 uh, unless, for example, that there is also a corresponding increase to the Social Security taxes that are charged to the wealthiest uh, wage earners in the country. Uh, right now, uh, many of the wealthiest people, probably all 
of the the one percent uh, in terms of income uh, in this country, they don't need Social Security. They either have you know solid retirement plans or investments where you know the the couple of thousand dollars a month uh, that Social Security pays uh, is you know is pennies to them. Uh, but when you are a uh, working class or you know, middle class or low income wage earner who's been paying into Social Security, you know, for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years or more, you've qualified to receive Social Security benefits uh, that, you know, $2,000 or, you know, $2,200 or whatever it may be uh, actually forms as I said, a, a significant, if not substantial, portion of your retirement income. And if you have to uh, wait an additional three years before you get to full retirement age, which means before you get to the age where you're eligible to claim it, not, not just eligible to receive it, uh, that is a significant change to you know, your work plans, to your retirement plans and and all of that. So the the fact that Republicans are looking at uh, making these adjustments to Social Security uh, is you know fairly typical of you know their approach to things. They can stand there uh, straight face, put their hand on a Bible, and said we did not do anything with Social Security and Medicare as a part of the budget price. Uh, crisis on the debt ceiling crisis in 2023. Now that that's gone, uh, we're back to being able to do or to try to do what we want in order to uh, lower the the cost of Social Security and lower the benefits that working people will receive. Uh, and you know, as voters, as you know, working people in this country, it's our duty not to let them get away with it. Uh, so, uh, homework assignment number two, find out where your congressperson, particularly if you live in a district where you're represented by a Republican who may be on this uh, Republican study committee, uh, let them know in no uncertain terms what you think about that. Uh, get on the horn, send them emails, send them faxes, write them letters, call their offices, and make sure that you know they understand that what they are proposing is not popular is not something that the voters who sent them to their their elected office are interested in and let them know if they are going to continue to persist in this effort then you know elections are coming up in 2024 and again in 2026 so you know we can take action on that and you know vote them out of office and identify and and elevate candidates that do want to see protections for the working class in this country uh, remain at a minimum where they are right now if not actually uh, increase over time so you know take note do your homework do your research find out more uh, you know go to House.gov, go to Senate.gov, uh, go to the news sources, um, you know, and, and as I always say, 
don't just go to your one go-to news source you know uh look around look around at at all the news sources go around the circle find out where these these uh these sources uh are what they're saying because the truth is usually and uh generally in the middle between one side and the other or you know or as you go around the circle it's in the middle of all of these uh elements so you know homework assignments assigned uh let's get on that and let's make sure that we are communicating to our elected officials uh not just on this subject but on you know on any uh legislation that they are proposing again if you go to senate.gov and house.gov as well as if you go to your uh, state, uh, your your state elected officials uh, website, you know, for your state, you can find out what legislation is is coming to the floor, and what your representatives uh, think of it, what their their vote uh, is going to be, and you can engage in that conversation to let them know that you know if you disagree with how they are voting that you know there are consequences they can be voted out of office so you know it, it's it's another thing that we have to do as voters uh, we can't just sit by and watch all of this roll past us and not do anything or say anything so as always you know dig wider dig deeper uh, get informed get educated and get active so with that said uh, we will uh, end today's episode. Let me wish you a happy Juneteenth. Uh, take some time and look into the holiday because uh, it is not something that is exclusively an, an African-American holiday. It is actually, as many things are, beneficial to all of us uh, that uh, what Juneteenth stands for is applied across the board. So if you have any comments or questions, uh, if you want to uh, discuss Juneteenth or, you know, what the the Republican proposals for Social Security are or, you know, what uh, Texas is doing in its higher education system with the elimination of DEI uh, programs on its uh, state colleges and universities, send an email to the program. Our email address is firedupradio at yahoo.com. Uh, send it to me and I will happily respond and include your comments in an upcoming podcast. So with that being said, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, hope you have a, a great Juneteenth holiday. Have a safe week. And I look forward to having our conversations again in seven days. Mm-hmm.